I want to say welcome to everybody who's with us in the room. I'm looking out at a sanctuary full of people who are wisely bundled up uh, with, our, with our caps on and everything. I, too, am, am uh, bundled. I had to layer today. I just had to layer. So, uh, just so you know, under the robe, I'm, I am uh, well insulated. Um, I've also got my Rangers World Series cup because I'm just manifesting, folks. I'm, it's the new year. I'm manifesting this into existence. Um, uh, for those of you who are online, uh, God bless you. Uh, we are all here jealous of your sweatpants and your couch right now. Um, and I do hope, we know that this time of year is a time for folks to visit churches, to uh, especially seek out churches perhaps online. If that sounds like you and this feels like it could be a church home for you, we invite you to go to our website, arapahoumc.org connect. Uh, where you can learn more about how to engage here and how to get in contact with myself or another member of our staff to learn more about the church. So um, today uh, we are talking about the theme of creativity. I'll say more about that in a second. I remember, though, thinking to myself, being creative is overrated anyways. I was in the first grade, which is the perfect age, to begin a deep descent into cynicism. Amen? It was the early 90s, and my school district was beginning to implement a program that they titled Gifted and Talented. I was one of several students being evaluated on our ability to, quote, think creatively. And the teacher sat me down, and we started with these Rorschach blob-style uh, tests. And, and she'd asked me what they looked like, and, and I, I think I did okay at blob identification. I was pretty good at that. But then she placed a handful of toothpicks and several gummy candies, I think they were, were dots, in front of me. And she said, okay, Scott, get creative. Make anything you want. It's important to know that at the time, I had just gotten really into playing with Kinects. If you don't know what connects are, think of it as a, as a plastic version of an erector set with these little plastic sticks that could snap into place with these connectors, and, and you could build anything from a, a motorcycle to the Eiffel Tower to, to a fully functioning roller coaster. And what I loved most was trying to decipher the instructions. Years later, I love Ikea. And sometimes the instructions would only be just a picture of the finished product, but I would, I would look at it in detail and piece by piece recreate that design perfectly. And so this is why when I was presented with this particularly creative challenge, I looked at the pile of materials and I looked up at my teacher and, and I said, well, what do you want me to make? And she said, oh, Scott, that's the best part. There's no rules. You can make anything. And I'm thinking, yeah, I could make you a motorcycle or, or the Eiffel Tower or a fully functioning roller coaster. What do you want me to make? And I sat there frustrated for a moment. She thought this was a liberating exercise. I thought the opposite. And she realized I was clearly not gifted and talented material. I was escorted back into my classroom. The kids who passed the toothpick and candy test got to leave class once a week for the next several years to learn about the important stuff like calligraphy and advanced toothpick architecture while the rest of us enjoyed long division and grammar. I'm fine. It's fine. Right now, there's a teacher who, like, teaches this program at an elementary school who, like, wants to strangle me. I, it's jokes. They're jokes, people. It's okay. I've been to many years of therapy. So creativity, <laughs> creativity is not always a word that I've identified with. It, it's a tricky word. 
It can mean so many different things, and we tend to associate it with, with artistry and wild eccentricity, and, and maybe that's why around four years ago when I learned that the bishop would be sending me to serve here at AUMC, it struck me that the first word in AUMC's vision statement is creative. In the months before I arrived here, Pastor Blair, who was my predecessor, she led the congregation through a season of discernment that, that culminated in some important decision-making, as well as a clarified vision statement for the church. Here's what it is. We are a creative, constructive, forward-leaning Christian community committed to becoming more like Jesus Christ the 5C vision, as we call it. And the culmination of months of work is we asked the question, by God's grace, who are we and who are we becoming? That, that vision, little did we know, came at the perfect time. The pandemic sent everyone home, and it also sent people of faith, where'd you go? Online, there you are. Many of these people began looking for a new faith community, as I'm sure many of you did. We've been in a season as a country for several years now where folks are wrestling with their Christian faith, especially as it intersects with racial justice and LGBTQ rights and more broadly in our own personal social ethics. So whether online or, or on our exterior sign or, or by word of mouth, the ability to clearly articulate our vision and identity as a church has helped to spur a season of sustained growth. Last year alone, we welcomed 75 new members, along with more than 30 kids as a part of those households. And while so many churches in our country are struggling to slow down their decline, this is a congregation that has a rich history dating back to the 1960s, who is also growing at a 10% rate. That is fascinating. That is marvelous. And so after four years of life, with this 5C vision, we can see that it is leading us into greater things as a community of faith. But in working with the leaders and staff here, I began to realize that it would be good for us to revisit our vision to start the year. Not, not reinvent, but simply revisit. My informed, my, my informed estimation, rather, is that about half the people in this room and watching online currently have discovered AUMC sometime in the last four years. About half of us since this vision statement was crafted and communicated. My sense is that by spending some time breaking down that vision once again and understanding clearly how it could lead us as individuals and us as a larger community of faith, we could continue to devote our time and energy and attention to the things that we believe God is uniquely calling us to as the people called AUMC. And so we begin with creativity. That's where our shared journey begins this season. And it's where our understanding of God in Scripture, in fact, begins as well. In the early chapters of Genesis, we are given two very distinct visions of God, and yet they're united in understanding uh, God's identity first as creator. Genesis 1 is that famous in the beginning litany, in the beginning. You've read this part before. It's the part that you read each time this year when you commit to reading the Bible in a year and then you end up losing steam in Leviticus. This is the part you know, right? So we hear again, Genesis 1, verse 1, when God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea. And God's wind swept over the waters. God said, let there be light. You know, it's fitting 
It's a fitting opening for a collection of texts with as grand a name as the Holy Bible, right? It's cosmic and it's marvelous. The language talks about creating space and then stars and the earth and, and any living things created are made not in ones and twos, but rather in multitudes. If God is an artist, this is a mural on the side of a skyscraper, bust out the biggest roller and the paint sprayer. But then Genesis 2 arrives. And a new voice arrives with it, this time painting a picture of a much more intimate God who is not lording over the cosmos, but, but instead is tending to a fertile garden. This God takes dust in her hands and breathes life into humankind, one person at a time, until the garden feels complete. You know, one question that theologians have wrestled with in this text, in, in both these texts really, is whether God created everything from nothing, what we call creation ex nihilo, because theologians like to remind you that they know Latin. <laughs> did God create everything from nothing, or instead did God create beauty and order out of something pre-existing? That's a massive metaphysical question that is likely way too big for one sermon to do justice. But for today's purposes, I think the images of God and of the creating process that we are given are helpful in our own understanding of what it means to be creative beings. My friends, sometimes creativity starts in the blank space. And then sometimes it starts with tending a garden. What I mean is that some of us see a blank page, an empty canvas, an open-ended project, and we feel energized by the limitless possibilities. Scott, there's no rules. You can make anything you want. While others, are at our, others of us are at our creative best when we have a starting point and even some boundaries to help us know where to go. If I'm tending a garden, maybe I don't need to worry about making Pluto out in space, right? It's all creativity. It's just in different forms. And so as a church, we live into our image of God by embracing these different forms of creative expression, both the, the blank space and the tended garden. Since we adopted our vision statement, we have birthed new ministries like Live Like Luke, a financial relief ministry for families with long-term childhood medical crises. That ministry started with some designated resources, a dream, and a conversation, and, and that's it. But we've also invested deep roots in the ministries and missional work that have long defined us, like Network of Community Ministries, or, for example, just this past week, I joined with several AUMC members to serve as reading buddies this semester at Doby Pre-K. That's a local public preschool that we've invested in for years. And reading buddies is one way we continue to tend that garden. So the Apostle Paul Flipping to the other end of our scripture, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is one of the primary authors of our New Testament texts. He was a first century leader who helped to plant and to cultivate and to lead Christian communities throughout the Mediterranean region. And in his letter to the church in Rome, he has this to say. He says, so brothers and sisters, because of God's mercies, I encourage you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your appropriate priestly service. Don't be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. 
When Paul talks about transformation, he's speaking from personal experience. He lived in the same kind of religious environment that Jesus did. Religious leaders had turned and made the life of faith exclusive and burdensome and, quite frankly, out of line with the God of mercy and of grace. And so, as a result, Paul was a violent and vengeful man, devoting his life to persecuting the early Christian movement and early Christians. And after a supernatural spiritual experience, Paul feels called not only to stop the violence, but to actually join that Christian movement that he had so long opposed. And so when Paul writes these words, he knows that life as we know it, while it can feel safe and concrete and sturdy, it can also be harmful for ourselves and for others. Embracing creativity means embracing a God who did not simply create us, but who is continuing to create us in a transformative way, especially in ways that feel impossible for us to imagine. And so with the new year comes goals and resolutions, and I'm sure you've made your own for personal change. And, and frequently what prevents us from even trying to set goals for positive change is what? The possibility of failure. Knowing we might not finish the journey, we convince ourselves that it's wiser to not even take that first step. Am I just preaching to myself today? Ed Catmull, Ed Catmull is the co-founder of Pixar Animation Studios, who revolutionized the animated film industry, starting with Toy Story. And in his book, Creativity, Inc., Catmull offers wisdom gleaned from his years steering an organization renowned for creativity, and he addresses our negative attitude towards failure and casts it in a new light. He says this, Failure is not a necessary evil. In fact, it isn't evil at all. It is a necessary consequence of doing something new. Now, I'll be honest, that's a pithy statement that I'll nod along and say, mm-hmm, yeah, that's right. But actually living into that sentiment is incredibly difficult, is it not? It certainly can be for me. I feel like I'm not the only one. The film industry, for instance, is cranking out the Fast and the Furious 18 and the 12th reboot of Spider-Man because profitability has determined we, most, we will most likely spend our money on tickets to sequels and reboots, familiarity over failure, right? Blockbuster famously passed on acquiring Netflix in its infancy and then would end up bankrupt while Netflix instead changed the landscape of media for a generation, and in the church, in the church, yes, where we quite literally worship the God of creation, a God who is creator, we're encouraged to go out, try new things, but we're also required to submit annual reports on how many people are in those pews and how many dollars and how much debt, because maybe we'd rather slowly decline since somehow that feels less like failure. But Paul reminds us that the way things have been he calls it conforming to the pattern of the world. It isn't all it's cracked up to be, is it? In fact, God has designs to change us from within in a transforming way and to lead us into then a life of transformation with the freedom to fail along the way. And if you don't think God ever failed, just think about that creative process. I mean, God's making beautiful animals like buffalo and, 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 you know, uh, golden retrievers, and then, like, the hairless cat comes out? <laughs> you don't think the archangel Michael's like, whoa, what is that? God's like, that was intentional. God doesn't make mistakes, all right? That, that is definitely supposed to be how that cat is. Wow. Um, hmm. 
You know, the good news is that God is not a hands-off creator, but rather desires to continue that creating work in personal and powerful ways. And so maybe God is leading you, like Paul, to reconsider how you relate to others in your life. Maybe God is leading you to make healthier choices and to treat yourself with greater kindness. Fancy that. Maybe God is waking you up to a greater sense of personal purpose as you consider taking that important step into something new. And if we're honest, something kind of scary. What's wonderful is that once we embrace God's creativity and creatively transforming work in our lives, it spurs us to then join God in that spirit of creativity with the world around us. In a 1982 interview, Maya Angelou famously said, you cannot use up creativity. The more you use, the more you have. I think she might have something to say on that subject, right? I believe the same is true of God's creative spirit. The more we open ourselves up to God's creativity, the more that we embrace God's transforming spirit, the more creativity we find as we engage with the world and the people around us. So our final text this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is an Old Testament text of prophecy, and what that means simply is that it's a text that imagines how the future could unfold depending on our willingness to live into God's justice and righteousness. And so in Isaiah 11, the prophet is imagining a preferred future, a dream of what the world could look like if Israel is able to live according to God's principles. And what he offers is a creative, metaphorical vision of what could be. He says, the wolf will lie, will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion will feed together, and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, and a lion will eat straw like an ox. This imagery is idyllic to the extreme, is it not? To the point that a cynic might even scoff. Sounds nice, but is this prophet even living in the real world? We celebrate another prophet this weekend, and the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And like Isaiah, Dr. King imagined the world as God would have it if we could a living, if we could live according rather to God's principles of equity and justice for all. Like Isaiah, Dr. King could paint a picture through his I Have a Dream speech and his faithful marching and movement building throughout our nation. But this week I was drawn to his letter from a Birmingham jail. Dr. King is addressing white clergymen who, he feared, would choose a harmful moderation of the way things have been, the patterns of the world, Paul says, rather than pursuing the transformative and transforming love of God. And he writes this, The question is not whether we will be extremists, but what kind of extremists we will be. This is not a quote you're going to see in everybody's Instagram, all right? The nation and the world are in dire need of creative extremists. Will we be extremists for the preservation of injustice or for the extension of justice? In that dramatic scene on Calvary's hill, three men were crucified. We must never forget that all three were crucified for the same crime, the crime of extremism. 
two were extremists for immorality and thus fell below their environment. The other, Jesus Christ, was an extremist for love, truth, and goodness, and thereby rose above his environment. Perhaps the South, the nation, and the world are in dire need of creative extremists. As we remember Dr. King, we would do well to remember that not only did he promote the need for creative extremists, but he was regarded as an extremist himself. The fact that he dared to imagine a world where wolf and lamb and leopard and goat and lion and calf could actually live in peace together. Sometimes I fear we forget he was crucified as well for dreaming such a dream. The world is in dire need of creative extremists, my friends. He was right then, and he is still right today. The world may not need you to be a painter or a sculptor, but your creativity is in dire need in so many ways. The woman who cannot afford the money for her prescriptions nor the time it takes to battle her insurance company, she needs creative extremists to fight for health care reform. The child whose life would be endangered if they fully embraced their God-given identity. They need creative extremists to build more inclusive community. The man whose struggle with substance abuse offers him nothing but self-destruction. He needs creative extremists to offer pathways to safety and sobriety rather than being treated as a problem or a pest. And when we dream when we join the likes of Isaiah and Dr. King, we should be supremely unsurprised when the cynics scoff and sneer because creativity is always, always, always written off until it becomes a reality. And so over the years, I've become much better at toothpick architecture. I've done my best to sacrifice my cynicism along the way. And God is showing me more and more how a creative spirit is central to God's being. How God is transforming my own being from within and leading me into a life as a creative extremist set loose for good upon the earth. And so my question is, what about you? And what about us? So for those who are at home, I want you to try to find something you can write down with. Maybe you have a journal there's a piece of paper nearby and a writing utensil. You could even take a note in your phone, quite frankly, unless you're watching the stream. Don't go away. Um, those of you who are in the room, we've got these little postcards here that say our shared journey because one of our hopes during this series as we walk through the 5C vision statement together is that we can see this is not simply a vision for an institution called AUMC. This is a vision for us as the people called AUMC. And so during our prayer time in a moment, you're going to have a, a moment to reflect and, and even write down because I think the act of writing something down is important. And to respond to a general question, which is how is God leading you into a more creative way of being? What is that work that God is transforming within you? What is God opening you up to in the way that you live and, and the who that you are? But importantly, how is God leading you as well in the larger world? How might God be leading us? You could have the vision that this church needs for what comes next. How is God leading us to be a creative people 
in the world around us? How is God leading us to be creative extremists, as Dr. King says? So you'll have a moment where you can reflect, and, and I encourage you to write down whatever thoughts you may have. There's, for those in the room, there's, there's butcher paper on the wall in the hallway outside. And if you'd like to go public with your dreams, with your reflections, I think that can be an important way of taking that first important step. We invite you to do so today as well. And so my friends, as we seek to be a creative people, my prayer is that we would embrace God not only as our creator, but the one who is still creating in us and in this world around us. Will you join me in being a creative extremist this day? May it ever be so. Amen.